everybody, and welcome to the Talking Chop Podcast. My name is Brad Roll, and I'll be your host for this program and all programs. And joining me today is a fellow Talking Chop writer, Scott Coleman. What's up, man? Hey, Brad. How are you? I'm good, sir. We're recording this on a Sunday night, and uh, after talking a little bit before we started recording, neither of us had a particularly pleasant uh, experience in terms of sports today. Obviously, the Braves lost in desperate fashion, um, but more, more importantly, in terms of actual win-loss record, uh, our football team's lost today, too. Yeah, you know, it's bad if you're kind of already over the football season by week one, but I think it's going to be a long season for my Colts, and I don't want to speak for Falcons fans, but it might be a long season for the for the Birds as well. Uh, that's definitely possible, uh, so we'll stay away from football, but I wanted to say that neither Scott or I is terribly happy today, so if we're, if we're super negative, then that's probably uh, an explanation for it. Uh, there was, of course, one, one big piece of negative news this week, and that was the injury to Ozzy Albies. If you have not heard about this yet, um, uh, first of all, you haven't, read, you haven't been reading TalkingChop.com, so shame on you. But if you haven't heard it, uh, Ozzy Albies is the top remaining prospect for the Braves now that Dancy Swanson is a major leaguer, and he fractured his right elbow earlier this week. Uh, he uh, has surgery coming for this next week, as sur- at least it's planned to be, and the Braves are hoping that he'll be ready, he'll be ready for spring training after resuming baseball activities in January. Uh, I guess I wanted to ask you, Scott, what's your big takeaway um, from Ozzy Albies in terms of what he actually did this season? And uh, is this something that uh, the injury is going to be something that, that worries uh, anybody long-term, and even when it comes to starting the 2017 season? Anytime one of your top prospects is hurt, whether it's a broken elbow, uh, you know, of course, with a pitcher, it's since he's a hitter, it's a little less concerning since he's not a pitcher. But anytime one of your top prospects has to has to undergo surgery, which he'll do this week, it's never a good thing. Um, you will say though, if I guess if a player did have to suffer a serious injury, the final week of the minor league season would be the week to do it. It's not as if he's going to miss an entire year. Uh, it sounds like he should be able to resume baseball activities by January. Hopefully, be ready to go by the uh, by the start of spring training. So, um, definitely concerning. You hope he he takes time to get fully healed, and I'm sure the Braves will take every precaution with him. But again, when you look at Albie's season as a whole, it was pretty remarkable for a guy um, who's just 19 years old and in double and triple A. Um, and really, and we can probably touch on this a bit more, which is just kind of the 2017 outlook at second base. Um, I'm not sure if this delays anything or not. I'm kind of under the impression that the Braves might wait until mid-next year to call up Albies for the first time, um, and we'll certainly have to wait and see if, if the broken elbow delays him at all. Yeah, that's sort of the uh, the ominous cloud hanging over this thing is that a lot of people, including you know some of the people on our staff, have kind of sort of been penciling in Albies to be the starter at second base next year. That was always, uh, I think, aggressive, even though I kind of thought that that was going to happen, but if anything... This could slow that down, or at least could at least play a part in slowing that down. Considering he won't be able to do much over the next few months, even if everything goes to plan, you won't be seeing him doing anything baseball related until January. And while that's you know normally his off time anyway, it's still not something where he's going to be super comfortable uh, and super obviously healthy after this sort of situation. He'll only be 20. He turns 20 in January. That's still obscenely young for a major leaguer of any kind, much less a full-time starter at second base. So I think it's 
you know, it's still up in the air for me as to whether he's going to start the season on the big league club. And because he didn't come up at the end of this year, there is that service time concern. The Braves have said plainly that they don't want to be that team that holds people back for service time. But also, what else are they going to say? They kind of have to say that um, in terms of uh, getting along with players' associations. So that could come into play, especially if the Braves don't make that big splash this winter and really start looking like they're going to be a very competitive team next year. If they go in with a very similar roster to 2016 with, you know, just a few minor tweaks rather than a sort of a major overhaul, then it does make some sense to keep Albies down and wait for the service time clock to flip, right? Is that, is that, am I crazy about that? Oh, I think so. And even if you're not thinking about his contract status, he won't turn 20 until January. So there is zero reason. It's not as if, you know, you're dealing with a 25, 26 year old late bloomer and it's, well, let's see what he can do in the big leagues. Uh, you're talking to a guy who won't be able to legally drink alcohol in this country for another <laughs> 16, 16 months or so. He's just so young. Like it's, you know, he's your top prospect and he was, and he was in AAA this year for some of the season. So you just assume that that guy is going to obviously jump up, but you know, 19 year olds just don't, they don't come up. It doesn't really happen very often, especially in today's baseball. The last time that came up for the Braves was, I think, you know, Rafael for call maybe was the last time a 19 year old yeah. came up yeah. and that's been, it's been quite a while since for call came up and before that Andrew Jones. So, uh, this would be uncharted territory if he had come up, and obviously he didn't this year, so he'll be at least 20 when he arrives. But Albies, uh, you know, he didn't light the world on fire in Gwinnett. Gwinnett, we should say that. He really he only had an, an 89 WRC plus and about 250 plate appearances at Gwinnett. Uh, he was awesome in Mississippi and AA, but, you know, you want to see a little bit a little bit better production in AAA. Uh, most, most of that was sort of a rough start. He was, pre, he was pretty, pretty decent, pretty good after the rough start, but at the same time, it's not like he just lit it up at AAA either. So there's another argument for giving him a couple more months to kind of get his uh, some more work under his belt at the top level of the minors. I agree completely. It's, it's, it's a situation if the Braves are looking like the potential uh, World Series contender, maybe you just say, screw it, let's, let's see what the kid can do. But if they're looking at another team that's going to lose you know, 85, 90 games next season, um, why burn a year of a kid who, again, might be one of the more exciting prospects, um, in addition to Anthony Swanson. Um, but as you mentioned, the for calls, Andrew Jones, Jason Hayward, guys of that hype. Um, when you're dealing with a prospect as young as Albies, there's certainly zero reason to bring him up before he's ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And without, you know, we don't want to spend too much time on that, but Albies is obviously a very important part of the future, so that's definitely worth bringing up. Uh, real quick, a couple of uh, couple of quick hitters here. Uh, first of all, the Braves are now uh, two games clear of the Minnesota Twins for uh, last place in terms of the number one pick. Uh, not a great thing if you are very interested in the number one pick. I wanted to ask you, I brought this up on last week's show when I was by myself kind of shooting from the hip, but how important uh, to you is getting the number one pick versus the number two pick in this particular draft? Is this something that you actually are sweating out right now, or is it more just a, a, a fun opportunity to sort of poke fun at the situation, uh, or is it something where you're actually going to be upset if, if the Braves pick a number two instead of number one? Not really. I mean, it's cool to have the number one pick. The Braves will certainly uh, get whoever they want guaranteed if they have that number one pick. But as someone was mentioning the other day, uh, I think it was one of the Baseball America writers, even if the Braves do get that number one pick, it's not as if there's a surefire 1-1 guy, or at least it looks like that at this point. And even if there was, and that player wanted some absurd signing bonus, who's to say that the Braves would pass on him to do something similar to what they did this season, where they sign a cheaper player early in the first round and then add more talent in the, you know, in the uh, second round and the compensation round, so, um, or the competitive balance round. So um, 
it would be cool to have the number one pick, but it's really not a big deal one way or the other. Yeah, that's basically what I said, too. I think I can only think of a couple of years in the last decade or so where there was like a, an absolute definitive number one overall pick. Uh, you know, I, and that's basically Harper and Strasburg. Am I missing anybody there? I don't think there really has been that you know, that surefire guy uh, since since Harper. No, not really, not since Harper. No. I mean, there's been guys. Obviously, Carlos Correa is an awesome player. He ended up going ended up going number one, but he wasn't you know the absolute lock number one pick. Right. Either. And he, and Swanson, who's now obviously a member of the Braves, he was not a, a lock number one either. He was a likely guy down the stretch and had a great you know sort of the end of his college career. But it's not like Swanson was head and shoulders above everyone as much as we like Dansby, and we'll get to him later on the podcast. Uh, number one versus number two, most years is not a huge gap. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't, I don't see really any reason to fret if, for some reason, the Twins finish with a worse record than the Braves. It's, it's not a situation where the Braves are, are dooming themselves by winning, you know, an extra game or two in September. Yeah, shout out to the Twins for just being unspeakably awful. By the way, Minnesota is they're. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't understand why they're as bad as the Braves are, to be honest. They have, uh, I think, maybe not more talent top to bottom, but they have more of those prime pieces, but it's been ugly for about two months in Minnesota. It's been Yeah, ugly. their downturn right now is pretty similar to what Atlanta did last year when they were 500 around the break and then just completely fell apart. Um, it's a pretty similar downturn, and everyone remembers just how bad that was in August and September of last year for Atlanta. It was not, not a lot of fun, to be sure. Um Another quick thing before we move on to uh, broader topics, the, the Braves did announce the first baseball game that will be played in SunTrust Park. Uh, it's going to be an exhibition against the Yankees on March 31st. Uh, that's obviously not something that's you know worth a ton of analysis, but I did think it was noteworthy that the team announced that it was only going to be for the A-list members, which is the season ticket holders. I'm not sure why they would do that. Uh, and people didn't seem to respond very well. I know Scott, you're not local. For people that don't know this, Scott lives in Arizona, so I'm sure you're not, the, you know, uh, dialed in here. But it's a situation that I found interesting, and I wanted to know what you thought about it from afar as to what that uh, people were actually like heated about this. And I don't really understand why, but I, uh, at the, on the other side, it was kind of confusing why the Braves would even do this and say, "Oh, by the way, you're only allowed to do this if you are an A-list member." Yeah, my only thought is, uh, of course, opening a brand new stadium, there's going to be plenty of hiccups in the first couple days. If you can get maybe 20,000 people or so to the stadium, um, even if it's just season ticket holders and, or some Yankee fans who you know won't normally see the Yankees uh, in Cobb County, they scalp a ticket or two. Um, kind of like a test run. Of course, there's going to be 42,000 people there on, on the home opener. Um, if you can at least get some of the kinks out, grease the wheels, make sure the you know popcorn and hot dog machines are working, make sure the ticket, ticket, uh, ticket scanners are working, um, it might save a bit of a headache for the home opener, but... Other than that, I thought it was kind of odd that it'd be exclusive, but, you know, whatever. It's an exhibition game, um, and at that point, we'll have our eyes turned to the regular season. Yeah, pe- people were heated, and I, I thought it was pretty amusing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's not, not not really harming many people. I wouldn't personally be super excited to go to that. You know, it would be yeah. cool to see the stadium, but I'd rather go to a game that matters. Yeah. Uh, and, we, I mean, I'm sure the team's going to have every incentive to play some of the guys who you would normally see, some regulars, so people want to come. But normally, that those uh, first couple exhibition games at home are kind of not worth going to. As someone who's been to a few of them at Turner Field, uh, it's usually sort of throwaway games that nobody's really interested in. So, uh, my advice would be to uh, you know, not, not I'm not trying to tell you not to patronize the Atlanta Braves, but if you're picking one game to go to next year, do not make it that one. No, no. 
even if they open it up, and you know that probably won't happen. Uh, I did <laughs> want to mention uh, something. This actually came from Mark Bowman, uh, who we like a great deal uh, from MLB.com. Covers the Braves for a long, long time. Uh, he poured a bunch of cold water this week on the speculation that the Braves could pursue a big ticket third baseman in free agency. Uh, he said, and I quote: "Atlanta does not want to lose a draft pick." Uh, and, and they use that as a reason uh, that they won't sign players like Martin Prado, who's a guy we talked about on this podcast a lot, or Justin Turner, because those are guys who have been so good that, that their current teams are probably going to uh, offer them a qualifying offer, meaning that the Braves would have to pay up with a, a pretty significant draft pick in order to sign those guys. Uh, also, Bowman indicated that the team wouldn't like to get into a long-term commitment that can block somebody like Austin Riley in the long term. That one's a little bit more dubious, in my opinion, but I'm interested just to see what you thought about those uh, those two points from Mark and also the fact that he brought up Rio Ruiz as a uh, potential platoon guy next year in 2017 uh, because of his splits at a AAA level. So, you know, we talked a lot about third base, but this is sort of a new, not a revelation, but Bowman's very keyed in and would certainly know more about the uh, front office thinking than, than you or I would, so I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the bit about the draft pick is certainly interesting in the sense that the Braves would lose one. However, because the top 10 picks are protected, it wouldn't be like the Braves would be surrendering the number one or two pick to, to get a Prado or, or Turner. Um, at least in my opinion, I don't think it's as cut and dry as, no, we won't because we won't give up a draft pick. If the price is right on a talent like Martin Prado or Justin Turner and the cost is going to be you know the 45th overall pick in the draft, I don't think that's a situation where John Coppola hangs up the phone and says, no way, I could be wrong. Bowman could certainly be right. Um, but I don't think it's going to be quite as cut and dry. Uh, but to me, I'm not really sure that it happens more of a sense of why would Prado or Turner want to come to the Braves at this point. Um, they're both veterans. They're in their 30s. Um, they're probably looking to be on a contending team. And while the Braves will have money to spend this offseason, they're not going to be able to blow everybody away, you know, up everyone's best offer by five or six million annually. So um, it'd be nice to get a Justin Turner for the middle of the order. It'd be nice to get Prado and, and what he brings on the field, his versatility and, and what he does in the clubhouse. But um, I really don't think it's going to happen for a couple of reasons. Um, more so than just the draft pick, just being that I'm not sure that Prado or Turner are going to be lining up outside uh, SunTrust Park waiting to, to sign the contract on a team that probably won't contend for at least another uh, two years or so. Yeah, I think there's been some notion, and you know, it's it's at least believable that Prado especially would potentially take a little bit less money than he uh, than you would think to come back to Atlanta considering he likes the organization and succeeded here previously. But I think the draft pick stuff makes it even more unlikely that the Braves could get a discount on one of those guys because you know they'd have to almost get more of a discount in order to surrender that draft pick. I don't think they're going to be able to be willing to pay market value for a guy like Prado, which is going to be at least an eight-figure per year contract, and then surrender a draft pick. It yeah. would make more sense if they got a, if, you know, if you got a great deal, like you said before, on a free agent, then sure, give up the pick. But you you don't want to pay market value and give up a pick. That's not, that's that's not a great thing, especially for you know both these guys are very nice players. Uh, especially Turner's been great at the plate last couple of years, but they're not superstars either. If you're if you're, if you're, if you're getting a superstar, it's a lot easier to surrender a draft pick. But if for these uh, those middle tier, even if they're upper middle tier free agents like like these two guys would be, they're both older. They're not going to be super building blocks on your next uh, you know World Series team down the road. So. 
I, I do see where Bowman's coming from, but you're right. It doesn't rule the, the Braves out if they get a great deal on somebody. But in free agency, as we kind of know, great deals and great values are not exactly hard, uh, easy to come by, hmm. especially for guys at this level who actually are going to command uh, qualifying offers. Normally, these guys either get super overpaid or they just dangle on the wind because, because nobody wants to give up a draft pick. I, I agree with everything you said. I, I really don't think the Braves are going to make a huge splash. I think they'll probably add um, a mid-rotation starter, maybe a veteran for the bullpen, and uh, maybe a bat. But I really think it's going to be a, a quieter offseason for the team. But we can certainly dig into the you know the outlook for 2017 later today and, and then in the coming weeks. Yeah, and we always uh, that's certainly going to be a theme. Uh, that's what happens when the team is bad on the field in 2016 is that you start looking forward, and we've been doing that for quite a while, so hard to blame us on that one. But I do like what Bowman said about Ruiz, his platoon partner, potentially if they were to get a low-cost option or even go with a, even go with Garcia, who is – you know, Don Garcia is a terrible defensive player at third base, but uh, he's he's been better in, in, on defense this year, I think, especially since the, the first couple months. And if they could do worse than a platoon of Garcia and Ruiz. It wouldn't be great, but uh, they could probably get away with that. I do want to get to a mailbag question, though, of a specific name that we got this week. It comes from Benjamin Lewis on Twitter, and he asks uh, uh, whether it would be worth trading for a guy like Todd Frazier. Uh, Frazier, just for some background, is a 30-year-old uh, third baseman slash DH that has 35 home runs this year for the White Sox. Uh, the downside, though, for a guy like Frazier is that he's only under contract for one more season. He'll be arbitration eligible for 2017, and he also is having a down season with a 299 on base percentage, which is not ideal, but a power guy uh, and certainly a short-term option. But my, you know, personally for me, I wouldn't love this because you don't want to go for one year guys that you're going to have to pay. But I wanted to at least ask you since we got the question. Yeah, on that point, exactly. Uh, if he was signed for a couple seasons after uh, next year, it'd be worthwhile. But considering he will be a free agent in a year, um, he would be an interesting buy low candidate. He was much, much better with Cincinnati than he was. He's He's been pretty average in Chicago this year, um, hitting just 214, uh, sub 300 on base percentage, as you mentioned. Um, there has been some some unluckiness, too. His BABIP was just 219. Um, he might just be struggling to adjust into a league he's never really played in before. Um, so he's certainly an interesting candidate. Um, however, I, I would like to kind of see what real, real Ruiz can do. Um, he has pretty drastic splits. He hits righties really well, but it's basically invisible against left-handed pitching being a left-handed hitter, or at least that was the case in Gwinnett this year. Um, instead of just kind of handing over the keys to him, if you do pair him with Adonis Garcia, it allows him to get his feet wet. It allows the Braves to kind of see what they may have in Ruiz. Um, and who knows, maybe he comes up, sets the world on fire, and they found they're starting third baseman in the next couple of years, um, or they realize he's more of a platoon guy, and then uh, next year they're able to think about their long-term options at third, whether it be a guy like Austin Riley, um, or if they're going to have to hit the market, they could always go sign a Todd Frazier uh, in you know 14 months from now uh, without having to surrender the prospects to get him. Yeah, that's a much more uh, I think a, a much more responsible approach than trading actual. You know, if you can get Todd Frazier for cheap uh, in a trade, you know, not giving up any of your topper, you know, the, any of your upper tier prospects, then maybe you look at that as a stopgap option because. 
you know, there's there's worse things you can do than trade a couple of mid to low level prospects for a guy who you who you know is going to have power next year as a stopgap to maybe even just sort of groom Ruiz if you like Ruiz or maybe if you're trying to wait it out for Riley or somebody like that. Um, I don't hate it. It's just that I think Frazier's asking price is going to be too high for what you actually want to pay for a guy under contract for only one year. And also, you mentioned the BABIP stuff. I, I saw that as well. But Frazier's kind of a statue. I don't think the BABIP for him is going to be uh, – you know, it's probably going to be higher than that. Uh, you know, low to, low two low two hundreds is pretty low for anybody. But his defense has really regressed too. Uh, you know, he's DHing more than you would uh, want a guy who, to be able to do when he's coming over to the National League. And uh, we've seen enough bad defensive third base to last a lifetime. I think. Uh, yeah. So I mean, at least with Garcia, he's cheap, and you can sort of move him around, and just you kind of know he's going to be bad there. But it's so cheap, and he can hit a little bit, so it won't bother you if you're suddenly paying eight figures in arbitration for Todd Frazier, and he's a uh, a turnstile at third base that wouldn't that wouldn't be the most fun thing in the world. I don't think. Yeah, I think if you're the Braves again, I don't think you make any big moves this off season. I think you just kind of stay the course and evaluate what you have. Um, let the kids have another season to develop, and then really kind of make sense of what the team needs to do in 2017 when there will be a monstrous free agent class um, on the way. Um, as everyone should know, this this upcoming off uh, free agent class is nothing spectacular, um, and I think the Braves, just in their situation now, are probably best served to to hold. Uh, to hold on and stand by and, and just kind of see where they're at this time in 12 months. I just like teeing you up for that since I think we, we can't say it enough. Um, you know, whenever, whenever I ask about mailbag questions, then we get a, we get a ton and we appreciate them for sure. But I say, I'd say probably half of them have to do with, you know, big, big ticket free agents in 2016. And A, there aren't that many of them. And B, it doesn't make a ton, a ton of sense. So we're going to keep saying it uh, until we stop getting all those questions. We love questions, but they're going to be, uh, I think a lot of Braves fans are still holding on to hope that this team's going to spend, you know, $50 million a year uh, in free agency this year. And suddenly become this ninety-one club next year, and I just don't think it's very realistic. And it, I think, I think we're both on the same page with that. And that even if they did that, it would not be a fiscally responsible move unless this uh, this ownership group's ready to spend more money than they have ever had before. And I'd rather just take it slow, continue to rebuild. And I think Copy's going to be where we are on this, and just take that slow approach. Maybe I maybe I have one guy. I wouldn't that wouldn't shock me if they spent some money somewhere? You mentioned a middle middle rotation starter. That would not surprise me at all. I think there's there's going to be a vet in somewhere in the rotation, uh, even if it's a Bud Norris type that's a more low-end option that they end up flipping. I think they're going to start the season next year with at least one veteran outside of Julio Tehran. I just don't know who that guy's going to be. I'm sure we're going to get questions about who it's going to be, and maybe maybe down the road, once the season's over, we'll look at the options you know, one by one or in groups of actual, of actual free agents. But for now, we'll just say uh, veteran X stopgap guy would be what I would say. Yeah, they're going to have to add somebody. I don't think they're going to go as young as they are right now into into a brand new stadium next season. That'd be adventurous, though. I'd, I'd like to see a fifth starter. Uh, I don't know, John, fifth starter John Gant would be. Uh, I like John oh, Gant for some reason. Oh. Yeah, he, he's a cool wind up. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does. That's a good point. And, That's probably why I like him. If you're and a big curveball, but half the time that curveball's right down the middle of the plate, and, <laughs> and then it goes very far. So. Yeah, make no mistake. Make, make no mistake. John Gant's not good. Uh, he's just the guy I sort of find interesting in that fifth spot. Sure. But yeah, uh, it's more. It's better than Williams Perez. Am I right? Oh my God, I can't handle. I had to ask you, Williams. That's it's just you see him on the probable pitchers list, and I don't even follow along like on GameCast. You know, it's to the point now where I'll tune in if it's Fulty or Julio, even Whistler, Blair, fun to watch. But if it's Williams, Perez, or uh, De La Cruz or someone like that, it's tough to even crank up to watch an inning of it. 
Yeah, listen, I was I was very early on the Weimus Prize is not good thing. Uh, at the start of this podcast with Carlos and I, uh, I would regularly do three-minute rants on Weimus Perez, and I've given up on doing those, but I had to ask you since I saw you tweeting about it. Uh, <laughs> that was a, uh, I, I'm done with Weimus Perez. We'll yeah, yeah, I can't imagine he, he pitches much more with the Braves. Yes, uh, all right, on to our weekly Dansby Swanson update. That's something that has to happen. Uh, Dansby's offensive numbers look great. Uh, he's hitting 306, 354, 431 in terms of slash, which is not you know not incredible by any means, but very very solid for a rookie. Uh, there are defensive concerns. He made a, he made a big error on uh, on Friday night. I had the recap and, and people got mad at me that I didn't mention him by name when I referenced the error. Yes, it was Dansby that made the error, and it was uh, in the middle of a costly inning that the Braves ended up blowing that game. But uh, what are your overall thoughts? I haven't had you on since, he, since he's come up. Uh, overall thoughts on Dansby? What, you know, is he better than you thought he'd be so far? Any reason to worry about the defense, et cetera, et cetera? On the defense, I think anytime you have a young prospect who comes up and and was consistently strong in the field, you know, he rates as both a plus um, glove and arm, and showed that in the minor leagues. I think it's probably a little bit of the jitters. You know, he's only played about fifteen or twenty games in the big leagues. Um, of course, he's getting used to uh, you know the major league fields. Um, I'm not really concerned about it now. If we're having the same conversation in, in a year from now, then you really do kind of start to wonder. But I think he's going to be fine defensively. Um, just kind of taking his licks. He kind of owned up to that big error he made on uh, was it Friday or Saturday night. Um, just said he was trying to rush a play. Um, you know, he was trying to just grab a high chopper and get to the bag and then throw it to first, and he just kind of rushed it. Um, it's a mistake that you would expect a 22-year-old rookie who's 20 games into his big league, uh, first taste of the big leagues to make. Um, so the defense not worried about. Offensively, you mentioned the 306, 354, 431 slash. I kind of think that's who Dansby is going to be moving forward, which as a shortstop, that would provide a ton of value. That would uh, make him about a three to four win player every single year. Um, and I think he might have a little less of a batting average, which is fine. It's kind of an empty stat. Uh, maybe a little more power because he has shown some pop in the in the minors. So um, offensively, I think this is kind of who he is, and I think that he's going to be steady and an ideal number two hitter for a long time. Um, and we'll see how he finishes out the year defensively, but I'm really not too worried about that. What about you? Yeah, I'm not worried about the defense at all, to be honest. It's it's early, like you said. Uh, that one that one particular play. Uh, it did look like he rushed it. That's a, that's a great boy. I'm, I missed that quote from him, but it certainly looked like he rushed it. Uh, you know, he's very young. He's probably pressing just a tad. At the play, he looks good. I mean, he's making, making hard contact. So I, I'm inclined to agree with you on the uh, on the slash stuff overall. I think you know his upside is somewhere in that you know low 800s OPS level. And this right now is he's sitting in the in the 785 range, so you know maybe a little bit a little bit more growth. I don't think he's going to get I'll be a guy that routinely uh, posts you know north of 850 OPSs. That's probably not going to happen. That's the uber that's the uber elite guy at shortstop. I don't really see that. It could happen down the line. Um, I think his play discipline will probably get a little bit better as he gets older. Most guys do. Um, but, yeah, I think this is, you know, his bat's playing well in kind of the way that we envisioned it. I think maybe a little bit better just early on because you expect rookies to kind of struggle a little bit. But he's hitting the ball well. And the defense, I have I basically have zero concern. Uh, again, you know, if, you're right. If, if we see this in a year and he's made, you know, 30 errors at shortstop, which is kind of what the pace he's on, that 25-30 error range, you know, errors aren't everything, but he hasn't been good, I don't think, defensively. But 
seeing seeing all all the reports, all the scouting reports on him, all the stuff about his tools. His tools are pretty evident, especially the arm is pretty much on display. He's made a couple of highlight reel plays at shortstop too. I'm not worried. I'm just I'm just not. It's too early. I know people people around the fan base are worried because this is the first they've actually seen of him. And it's been inconsistent. The defensive numbers have not been kind to him either. But again, this is a super-duper small sample for a very young rookie. And uh, Swanson's a guy who I'm super excited about. He's not going to be one of the top ten players in baseball, but he'll be a uh, a solidly above average to great shortstop, I think, uh, in short order. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely. It's really nothing to worry about. Um, I think Dansby will be fine and, and his work ethic um, and just kind of whole mentality towards the game, I think, is going to suit him up. Um, for a strong off season and then a really nice rookie campaign next year. We did get a mailbag question. This is a quick one from Stephen Phillips on Twitter, and he asks uh, if Dansby's going to lose his rookie status for next year because he's going to be on the roster for 47 days. I did a little bit of research here, and you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong in interpreting this, but uh, MLB.com says that 130 at-bats is the threshold for rookie status. Uh, Dansby's probably going to clear that if he plays in healthy the rest of the way here in September. He's probably going to clear that, which means he won't be a rookie next year. Um We'll see if the Braves let him reach that, but I think if he if, again, if he's in the lineup every day, he's going to get there. And the other the other thing is forty five days on the roster, which is which is the question in the mailbag. But that only applies when the team is using a normal twenty five man roster. So September does not count toward that. So the bats is the only concern. And again, you know, unless you're really worried about Danny trying to be, trying to win Rookie of the Year, this doesn't really matter much. But if you do care about that. If I'm interpreting it right, I think you're going to be in trouble. This is going to be Dansby's rookie season, and he's obviously not going to win it this year. Yep. No, and, and again, it's the whole the rookie of the year thing would be cool, but whether or not he's a rookie or not next season really doesn't matter in the grand scheme. It doesn't matter at all, really. But um, I want to win awards, Scott. We won awards for the Braves. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, either way, I, don't, I can't imagine it's really going into any of the decision-making for the Braves. Um, and I do kind of like that they've been giving him a day off after every two or three, especially considering this is his full year, whether or not he hits that threshold um, to kind of eliminate his rookie status doesn't really matter a whole bunch to me. Yeah, I love that days off. I, we brought it up, I think it was two weeks ago on the podcast where he suddenly had a day off and people freaked out. And I was like, guys, they're just going to, they have no reason to push him. If he's tired mm-hmm. and he's, set, he's admitted to being tired, he's never played as much baseball in his life and no rookie has, especially if they're, you know, he, he, he went all the way to the College World Series, played the rest, played the rest, and then was suddenly up. So it's like, this guy's going to have to, uh, uh, I think, Build up to it a little bit, you know. I'm not saying he's going to play 120 games next year because if he's the start stop, he's going to play more than that. But this year, there's every every reason to take it easy and give him a day off whenever he wants one. Yeah, somebody said the other day that Dansby has not had three consecutive days off from baseball in like eight months or something like that because in the minor leagues he did the like the USA versus the World All Star game, and then yep. I want to say he was a All Star in either High A or Double A ball. So he's not had I think it was three consecutive days without having a baseball game. Um, that's pretty incredible for anyone, let alone a guy who is in his first pro season. Um, so yeah, absolutely, give him all the time he needs. Um, we got 20 or so games left here and, and it's not worth just grinding him down to the very end. Um, want to make sure he's getting a taste of the big leagues, but he doesn't need to be out there for nine innings every single day. It's also how, how guys get hurt. If their bodies are tired, uh, you don't want to push those guys cause that's, you know, the, the likelihood of injury skyrockets when guys are worn out. 
so every, again, every every reason to take it easy. Uh, before we get out of here, Scott, I do have to ask you about Ender Inciarte, who is an old favorite of both of ours. I know you watched, the, you saw the Braves play since we talked last uh, locally in Arizona, but uh, NCRK is up to a 3.3 uh, war according to Fangraphs, and more importantly, at least for me, he's up to a 95 WRC+. plus. He's really become uh, this season a uh, an average hitter, which is all he ever needs to be considering his glove and his other value that he brings. Uh, overall takeaways from Ender, are you pleased with what you see? I think it's pretty safe to say that he's been really, really good, but uh, really at the plate, is it something that you think is sustainable just to be a, a guy in that 100 range, or that average hitter range in terms of WRC+. plus? I feel like I say this every single time I do a podcast with you. Oh, I'm um, sure you do, but let's do it again. <laughs> I still uh, no. I was just say I can't believe the Dansby Swanson and Inciarte trade happened. I really can't. Don't I mean, forget about Aaron Blair, who is uh, off the radar, but still, still another guy that we got in that deal. Him and him and his Twitter account. Um, oh lord. But yeah, so um, but no, I mean, I, I can't believe that that the Braves have Inciarte for what they what they gave up for him. Um, he looked great in Arizona. Um, he he really does a great job of doing what he's supposed to do, which is get on base, uh, play defense. Um, he works the count well. Uh, he he's his on base percentage is about three fifty, which is perfect. Um, you'd always like to have it a little bit higher than that, but three fifty is more than acceptable for a leadoff hitter. Um, he's never going to be a big slugger, but fortunately with his speed, he can leg out a couple doubles and triples, um, maybe an infield hit or two to get on base even more. So um, you know he's a three point three WAR as you said. Um, with a strong finish, he could probably even near a four WAR, considering he missed an entire month of the season with an injury and then took a while to get going after. Um, you know, really, if you think about it, you add on the injury time, and it was just, it was like seven months since Ender had played baseball when he finally returned to the big league. So um, he's everything the Braves could have hoped for, uh, considering he's under contract for another four seasons, um, especially next couple of years when he'll be real cheap. Um, he's a great value for the Braves, and I, I can't imagine that they don't have. Um, Ender penciled in to be the starting center fielder next year. Even with Malik Smith, um, Ender is just so much more valuable in center field. And he's a guy that I think the Braves realize they got to steal with, and they're going to have him in their plans for quite a while. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was going to tee this up, but I think you just did it uh, for me. We got a mailbag question, and we'll get out of here with this one from Jacob Underwood uh, on Twitter. And he asks, uh, if we assume that one of the top four outfielders is traded, and these are the four guys, uh, Nick Markakis, Ender, Ender Enciarte, Matt Kemp, and Malik Smith, he wants us to rank the most likely to be traded to the least likely to be traded. I think, uh, judging mm. from your answer, you're going to put uh, Ender at, at least likely, but I'll let you answer. Yeah, I think so. I think Markakis is probably number one as the most likely. Um, we don't need to go over all the reasons why. I think people are f- pretty familiar. If no, you- let's just do it again, Scott. You and I never talk about Markakis. You know, it, it, <laughs> it makes all the sense in the world to get rid of him. He's having a fine season. Um, I guess... I guess Matt Kemp would be second if an American League team came calling and desperate for a DH. They, it might make sense, but um, I like what Kemp brings. He brings power to a team that has very little. Um, hope I hope that he can lose, you know, twenty five or thirty pounds. I don't think it's going to turn him into a Gold Glover in left field, but it will help um, help his knees, uh, help his ability to track down balls in left field. Um, so I'd say Marquez Kemp. Uh, than Malik's. I think Malik's is a potential trade candidate, especially if the Braves uh, want to try to p- trade for a pitcher. Um, I think he's a guy who could be an appealing piece um, and might be able to uh, fetch a decent pitcher or at least be part of a, a piece that or a part of a package that fetches a pitcher. Um, and then Ender, um, 
I could be wrong. I really don't see any reason why the Braves should trade him. He's good. He's cheap. Um, he could even get better. He's only 25 years old, and he kind of fits that leadoff role perfectly. Um, and if you even want to shift him down, it, once uh, Albies and Malik's come, guys with a little more speed. Um, I really can't imagine the Braves trade in CRT, but um, if a team offered a huge package, um, again, other than Freddie Freeman, um, I'm really not sure there's a player who should be untouchable on the roster right now. Yeah, your point on CRT is absolutely right. I think the Braves have to be blown away. Uh, the contract's really the big thing. In, in addition to being awesome, he's so cheap, as you said, for a long period of time here that um, that, that excess value is going to really send his, uh, send his market value through the roof after another season like this where he's been phenomenal uh, in the overall sense. His defense is so valuable. Uh, I think I'd actually have Malik's as more likely to be traded than Kemp. Yeah. And it's not, it's not because, it's basically for the reasons that you said. I think that Malik's is a, a guy who could easily be included in a, in a deal. Um, for a uh, if the Braves were going to try to go after an under control piece from somebody else and wanted to include a position player, uh, he's somewhat blocked by Enciarte. Um, I think Malik's ultimately, in order to be a starting player uh, on a good team, it's going to have to be in center field because of the defense and the lack of power. So yeah. you know. Having those two guys play together wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Your defense would probably be great, but having two non-power guys in the outfield always worries me, and that's something we talked about with Marcakis and those two having the tri- the trio of disaster in terms of power. Um, but you know, I think it just goes simply uh, for for just to have Malix and NCRT in the same outfield is that Malix is a center fielder, man, and if he's blocked and if the Braves want to keep NCRT there, they're almost better off getting more value from Malix in a trade than they are to have him being a fourth outfielder and sort of capping him in that way if they don't want to start him. And I think also that you know Kemp's value, um, he's been he's been pretty good, uh, especially offensively since he got here. Uh, but they've, you know, John Hart said it plainly, uh, Copy said it a couple times, that he's got to get in shape, and they want him to lose weight. They're going to give him a chance to do that, I'm pretty sure, and this is that's a guy who they can sell to the fan base as a power bat. They can say, look, we know Matt Kemp's super famous, and here he is, and uh, and they need the power. I mean, right, especially right-handed power. Outside of Freeman on the left side, they really need that right-handed power bat. So I think, you know, judging by their contracts, Malix is more valuable than Matt Kemp. There's no question about that. But I think yeah. Malix would be easier to attach in a deal, especially if you're looking for a, a big-time piece that's under control, which I think is something the Braves are at least going to look to do. Whether they can pull it off or not is another issue. But that's be something that they're always trying to look out for and uh, to grab an under-control guy on a, on a good bargain. I'm with you. Um, you know, the whole Kemp factor is really he's probably more valuable to a team that's contending now than a rebuilding one. But um, I do think I'm with you. I think Malix is a guy who's of the prospects. You know, you pair him with one of the the higher tier starting pitching prospects. You might be able to get a, you know, a solid big league uh, number three or number four starter under control for a few seasons. So um, we'll see. I don't think Marcakis will be around. But other than him, um, it could certainly be Kemp or Malix. Yeah, I agree, and we could see a situation where you know the Braves roll in the next season with Malik starting uh, alongside Enciarte. You know, there there are reasons to not like that, but there are reasons to uh, to like it. And, uh, and honestly, the weird thing about that is that I've, I think I've said this before is that if they did that, I'd almost rather see Malik in center and Enciarte in right and Kemp in left. I don't want Kemp playing right field. I just I don't no. want, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> even no. if he's, even if he's in shape, I don't want that to happen. No. Definitely so, not. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's specifics for later on, but I, I do like Malix, and I hope he's around. I just think it's at least possible. And uh, Kemp's going to be – it's just hard to trade a guy on that. Like, there was a reason why they why they were able to get rid of Hector Oliveira. It's because Matt Kemp makes a ton of money. And 
I don't think the Braves are going to want to eat money, and to trade him on his contract is basically to just give him away because you're not going to get any real value from Matt Kemp making what he's making. No, there's a reason no. they got rid of Hector Oliveira for him. That was the, that was about the only way they could swing that deal. And that's listen, that that deal looks better every day. I'll say that. I mean, Oliveira was an absolute sunk cost. He got he got uh, finally you know he got his punishment, uh, his legal punishment since last time we talked as well. So that's something worth noting. But. Uh, Kemp, even as much as he's not great for the contract, at least he's, at least he's going to hit for power. That's something that you know is going to happen with Kemp. And if you can hide him on defense a little bit, if he can lose some weight, then that deal looks, uh, if not good, at least reasonable. Yep. Yeah, no, he provides a, a, a real bat in the middle of the order. That's something the Braves don't have a lot of. Um, and for the additional whatever the money came out to, 10 or $11 million, $12 million more, I think it's a deal that the Braves do 10 times out of 10. Absolutely. Um, well, Scott, I appreciate you coming on, man. Is there anything you want to plug out there? Get your uh, Twitter handle out for the people. For, if for some reason they're not already following you, they should certainly be doing that. Uh, yeah, Scott Coleman 5'5". Five five. I like to make bad jokes and um, talk about how much I like Dustin Peterson. So, uh, <laughs> And there it is. The streak, the streak lives. Dustin Peterson on the podcast. You can't not have a podcast without him. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun. You know, we, we had three weeks left. Three weeks from today is the final day of the season. Um, just to kind of see the end of an era at Turner Field. Um, hopefully the young guys keep playing well. I'd like to see a couple... Um, you know, Rio, Rio Ruiz get to play a few games here in the next couple weeks. Um, hopefully guys like Whistler and Blair can get healthy and, and make a start or two to, to move into next year. So just a couple weeks to go. It's been a long grind, but we're at the end of the tunnel. Yes, it certainly has been a long grind. We appreciate everybody for uh, listening to the podcast. Please do us a favor if you haven't already and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave us a good, uh, positive, hopefully a five-star review. That really helps the show to kind of grow and get more listeners. Uh, to grow our family and of course if you're not reading TalkingChop.com where both Scott and I write on a regular basis you should certainly do that bookmark it it's I think you know again again, I'm biased but I think it's the best place to uh, read about the Atlanta Braves especially when it comes to prospect stuff no one does it like we do shout out to Eric and Garrett and Garav and all those guys that are doing a phenomenal job and uh, Scott man I appreciate you coming on absolutely Brad take care thanks again guys stay tuned for next week